Hi everyone and welcome to another Firms Consulting Podcast. So as we prepare to roll out our strategy training library, I have been receiving emails and comments from um, readers who have seen some of the early previews, but also from some of the readers who have helped us by vetting the material and testing it at their firms, right? So one of the readers who saw some of the initial material and commented on it and, you know, gave us some of the early insights to make sure it could be, so we could to make sure we could add subject matter that would be useful to helping her close the gaps. And she works at one of the big four accounting firms in Asia, right? So this is the email she sent, and I want to respond to it here, right? So she says, in your Michael Jordan strategy podcast, you mentioned that consulting firms often try to replicate MBB firms without much success. The reason for this is that it is the environment that makes the consultant successful. Your example of being an MBB partner moving to another firm would not see the same level of success. In this regard, I'm concerned about the values that I see. For example, complaining about MBB firms ETC. And frankly, I get a little disturbed as pulling down another firm would not elevate your own game. With no pun intended, how can consulting firms, for example, the big four niches, boutique, specialist firms, take their game to the next level then? I wonder if this is a topic worth exploring. I think it is a topic worth exploring, and I'm not entirely sure I could cover it all in this podcast because I do cover it. There's an entire long video that we have in the strategy training library which explains why the elite firms are different from the other firms. And you can see it's have nothing to do with the analysis, right? It's the value system and the way we approach things. But the question you have is slightly different. It's what can you do if you're working at a uh, firm like Deloitte, PwC, and so on? Okay, so to answer this question, I'm going to draw an analogy for you. Let's assume that you went to uh, Louisiana. Now, Louisiana is in the south of the United States, famous for crawfish, right? So imagine you go to Louisiana and you decide to open a Thai restaurant. And you decide to open a Thai restaurant because you believe that Thai food is the best food in the world and everyone in Louisiana would be better off eating Thai food versus crawfish. Now, I think that it would not take a rocket scientist or a management consultant to figure out that you are going to do maybe well because they've never eaten Thai food before, but you're never going to build a global empire out of Louisiana. You're never going to convert Louisianans, whatever they're called, to eat Thai food to the amount, to the level they eat crawfish, because it's that is the Louisiana interpretation of what good food is. Now, the point I'm making here is that there is no absolute term for what is good food. There's Thai food, which many people, including myself, would consider the best food in the world. There's food from Louisiana, which people, many people, millions of people would consider the best food in the world. There's food from France, people would consider the same thing. There's food from Portugal, and there are people who would consider that to be the best food in the world. So, if you ask someone what is the best food in the world, there's n- you're not going to get an answer you're not going to get a consistent answer because there's no such winner as the best food in the world. Every food is the best food in the world depending on whom you ask. And if only one person out of your entire sample says Taiwanese food is the best food in the world, he's still right because for him Taiwanese food is the best food in the world, right? So best is different from most popular. Most popular food would be a function of the number of people who vote for it. But the best food has nothing to do with the number of people who vote for it. If one person says 
Taiwanese food is the best food in the world. For that one person, it's right. So, so you've got to make this distinction between popularity and best. And why is this relevant to management consulting? The reason it's relevant to management consulting is because we have we have created this viewpoint that corporate strategy work is the is the best consulting work in the world we have accepted this by it's because most people who specialize in corporate strategy or strategy go on to become ceos and we've said okay if you become the ceo you are the winner you are the winner of, of, of the grand prize to become the best business person in the world. And so everyone wants to replicate strategy capabilities, right? And every firm is trying to do that. Every firm is trying to be McKinsey. I'll tell you right now, none of those firms know what it's like to be McKinsey or BCG. They don't know because they just look at things from outside in and they try to replicate that, just like the Michael Jordan um, strategy podcast dictated. So if you want to take your game to the next level, I think the first thing you've got to ask yourself is what game are you trying to play? It, it, I find it a bit upsetting when, when, when a lot of people come to me and say, we want to be like McKinsey. And I say, but why do you want to be like McKinsey? What does McKinsey have that you want to replicate? What exactly do you mean when you say you want to be like McKinsey? What I mean by this is that consulting is a broad area, right? Do you want to be a corporate strategy firm? Do you want to specialize in operations, implementation, risk analysis, data aggregation? I mean, the, the list is mind-blowing. It could be so big. So the first thing is determine the space you want to play in. Because I think that's the part most people mix up. They all want to have, do strategy work. But honestly, do you need to do strategy work? Is there a room for another strategy consultant? It looks like every year you see someone breaking up and forming a McKinsey or a BCG killer, and they're all telling you about how they're going to do it better than McKinsey or BCG. Debatable whether you need another one, right? But economics would say, what is the most lucrative business to be in versus the competencies you have? So look at the skills you have, right? And ask yourself, do I want to use those skills to specialize in a certain area? Is that operations work? Is that data analysis work? Whatever it may be. And say, okay, given the resources they have, the background, the material, where do I want to play? And it's feasible that we, whereby you do that analysis and say, given my background, resources, and, and experiences, the area where I want to play is not actually the area I want to see myself in the long term, and I want to move to this other area like strategy, and this is what it's going to take to get me there. But it's not easy to do that. Doing that kind of shift requires a lot of work, and make sure you want to change where you want to play in. Because basically, if you change this place you want to pay, if you want to change the spot you want to play in, and it, the spot you want to play in is different from the skills that you want to leverage, you basically have to create skills or you have to fill the gap that you now have, right? So let's talk about, so let's just separate that a little bit. Because for me, that's a completely different question. And I'm assuming that irrespective of the game you want to play in, how do you play that game to the best of your abilities? Okay, so how do you play that game to the best of your abilities? This is partly linked to the way you organize yourself, right? In any business, anywhere in the world, you have to put your client's interests first. There's just no doubt. There's just no way of changing that. So I think at this at the starting point, you want to say, okay, 
to succeed in the long term, to, to raise my game, so to speak, I've got to put my client's interests first. So how do I do that? How do I put my client's interests first? So to put my client's interests first, I have to do things that do not hurt them. I have to put the very best people onto the projects. I have to make sure that the projects are managed to the best of our ability and they have the best resources to do the work that they can do. Now, that sounds pretty easy to do. That's fairly difficult because even if you did all those things, the culture of the firm can still be corrosive. And if I read your statement, it sounds to me like the culture of the firm is corrosive. So even if you bring in really good people, after six months of listening to all this jibber-jabber and chatter about rival firms, they also develop this corrosive way of of thinking about management consulting, right? So, so doing what's good for the clients doing the projects to the best of their ability, staffing them to the best of their ability, and training those people to do the projects to the best of their ability is a technical requirement. But it doesn't explain what people talk about at lunchtime. It doesn't talk about how people socialize. So you've got to think about what do people do and how do they engage each other when they socialize, right? Now, this is the part that I want to focus on because that's more important. And the way to do that, if you look at great firms, and I'm going to name a few of them here. I mean, Morgan Stanley is one of the great firms of investment banking. Sure, they took a big hit in the financial crisis. But anyone you talk to at Morgan Stanley, well, anyone who knows Morgan Stanley at a senior level, always likes telling the story about John Mack. John Mack used to be the CEO of Morgan Stanley before John Go- before um, Gorman took over. And in fact, Mac brought in Gorman and in a position to be CEO. But anyway, the story goes like this, is that uh, once there was a guy who was uh, a pizza delivery guy who came through to deliver pizza for some of the traders. And um, Mac, John Mack, at that time he was the head of trading of investment bank, I can't remember. But he walked down the corridor, saw the guy there, and he thought, okay, he's waiting for someone. And then he came back, I think an hour or 30 minutes later, and the, the, the pizza delivery guy was still waiting there. And he asked the pizza delivery guy, you know, why did why are you waiting and the pizza delivery guy said well i'm waiting for xyz and then john max said okay hold on a second i'll get him down for you so he called the guy who who made the pizza delivery guy wait and he dressed him down for being disrespectful to another human being right because he said that look the culture of this firm is we care and we care about the little things because it's the it's the the big things are the sum of the little things we care about. And that story went viral at the firm, whereby it depicts the culture of Morgan Stanley. Now, in a minute, I'll tell you why I'm telling you these stories. Let's take another example, right? Um, Hank Paulson, Goldman Sachs leader, um, you know, grew up in Chicago, worked in the Goldman Sachs office of Chicago, or the Chicago office of Goldman Sachs, you know, a typical Midwesterner. There are a lot of stories about him. You know, there's a story about him whereby he's when he he bought a Burberry trench coat, the first trench coat he'd bought, and I think in 12 or 15 years, his wife made him send it back because she thought he was wasting money. It it speaks to the the frugal the frugal culture that he was trying to embed in the organization. There's another story about him is was that when he used to work late working on deals, and they used to be there ten or eleven, sometimes one in the morning, and the cleaner used to come through. He made it a point of always speaking to the cleaner and asking how was the day. You know, is everything going fine? Do they need anything to eat? There's enough food for everything for everyone. Please take whatever they need. And there's there's numerous examples like that, right? There's examples of 
Marvin Bauer, I mean, I speak about Marvin Bauer a lot, numerous stories, I'm not going to go into them. Now, the question, the reason I'm telling you this is that if you want to know how to take your game to the next level, there has to be senior partners who are taking the game to the next level by publicly demonstrating the values that are required to take the game to the next level. I have been in situations, I mentioned to you that I was a troubleshooter moving around and fixing things. I've been in situations whereby when I was relatively junior, I fought against some of the senior partners because I didn't think that they had the right values in the firm. I mentioned this in previous podcasts. I remember once the senior partner, managing director, wanted to hire someone who um, was very senior in banking. This lady was senior. She was a female and she was powerful. She went to all the right schools and we wanted to bring her in to head up financial services. And I was the token person, I think I was token, asked to do the interview with her because pretty sure it had a lot to do with the fact there was only one in the office that day. But anyway, everyone interviewed her. Everyone said yes, yes, and I did the interview with her. And I asked her a question, you know, why do you want to be in consulting? And the answer she gave me was so bad. It's obvious she didn't want to be there, but she felt entitled. Like, you know, I went to this school. I made it to this level by this age. And But there's nothing about the client. There's nothing about how she wanted to make an impact. But nothing about the client which bothered me. And I remember going to the managing director and telling him that, you know, well, I don't even think I told the managing director. I think I actually put it into my form. It's a no. It's a hard no, so I don't think I'm going to change my mind on this, even if someone came to me. And I remember the managing director came to me and he said, hey, he was laughing about it. He said, I said, I heard you said no about my friend. And I said, yep, you know, she's good, but I don't think she's going to fit the values. And you know what? He didn't even fight me on it. He just made a joke about it and he, and he went away. But that's an example of why you, you follow a leader like that. Because here's a chance for him to live the values. He comes to me, it was, more, it was like a cubicle that I took over next to where all of the other principals were sitting. He has this conversation with me and everyone can hear it and he doesn't overrule me. Now if, if the opposite had happened, let's assume I was trying to do what you were doing, trying to raise my game. I would be in a position whereby I'd be fighting against the partners. If they don't want to raise their game, and no matter what you do, nothing's going to happen. You can fight it as much as you want. You can even be good at what you're doing. You can even be successful. But unless you get the leadership to change their mind, nothing is going to happen. So the way to change the game is to get partners to demonstrate the values very publicly that they expect in their people. You know, one of the things, for example, they should be doing is if, if consultants are not are complaining about MBB firms making jokes about it, the partners need to stop them and say, look, we need to stop making jokes about it. We need to not focus on them because we are trying to change the world here and let's talk about it. And an example of that is that when someone calls me now, coaching, for example, they always ask me, Michael, you know, firms consulting is like this and there are other firms that do this. Can you tell me why firms consulting is better than the other firms? My, my standard response is that we don't talk about other firms. We have nothing to say about them, but I'm more than happy to tell you about firms consulting independent of making a comparison with other firms. I think you can do that by yourself if you see the material we have. And that's the kind of culture you have. It's just you and things are about building the values of your firm. Now, if you're an associate, obviously what I'm trying to tell you here is that you can't change the game. The partners have to decide to do it. Well, there's, there's a way to do this. First one is, 
you 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 stay there for a few years until you reach the point of seniority where you can start making some changes. Not what you want to hear, but that's a fact. The second one is where you get close to a relatively younger partner and you build a relationship with him and you bring him onto your side. And that's something I did at the firm as well. When I went to you know some offices where things weren't right, I would work with a partner to get him to change his mind. But there's no other way to do it. There has to be these stories that people tell each other that demonstrate the values you want the firm to have. And these stories need to come from a partner. Even if you did the same thing as what I recommended the partner should do, there's a possibility that people will complain about it. If they complain about it to another partner, the partner may choose to back you, which I think they will, or they may choose to not back you. So my advice is this is what you want and you see the firm not doing it. You need to live those values. But you've got to co-opt some of the partners in to slowly coming away to coming around to your way of doing things. And to be honest, partners around every firm are the same. They want the best. They may not know how to do it. They may have been there such a long time that they've forgotten how to do it. But you've got to get those stories going around. Without those stories those urban legends, those war stories, well, not urban legends, those, um, the, those stories that, that permeate the organization, that depict the values, you're not going to raise your game. It starts from the culture with those stories and then flows through. As always, if you have any comments, feel free to tell me about them.